Welcome to the QMA podcast and today's guest is Stuart Payton, um, who is a member of staff at Queen Margaret Academy. How are you Stuart? Good yourself, thanks. Right. Thanks, yeah. Um, so I was wondering if we could just go through a bit of your background um, and before you became a staff member here and um, any opinions you have on specific matters. Okay, so um, Jack, give us a bit of insight into your childhood. What kind of hobbies did you have? Um, did you think about joining the police a lot? Was it um, was it already on the horizon for you? My, my childhood, I would describe as absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Brought up in um, a council scheme in East Ayrshire. Um, three brothers and a sister, and my mother and father. I'd say materialistic wise through our childhood we didn't have very much but what we didn't have was made up and basically it's a thing that's known as shenari, it's about indicators in relation to um, how children are treated and stuff and I often, often think back and I say to myself my mum and dad weren't aware of such a thing but when you look at it every single shenari indicator they, they met it um, even though they didn't have a, an understanding of what that was at the time obviously until I came into the, the kind of role that I served just now, I was never aware of these things either. Um, so, like I was saying, there are no much material material things, but lessons that were learned during my childhood um, so invaluable to the values that I hold right to this present day. Um, Mum and Dad used to foster, used to foster kids, um, which I claim is absolutely brilliant. Um, lesson in life for us as, as children getting brought up because um, as children we did have that social work knocking the door at four in the morning um, whereby at the time it was maybe some social workers from Glasgow that uh, just wee kids wrapped up and effectively all they had was the shawl or the, the duvet that they, they were wrapped in um, so mum and dad actually it didn't matter who it was, they were treated as a part of the family right away. Even when it came to Christmas time, there was no difference made in Christmas presents. Um, a kind of old-fashioned set-up in the house at the time, where dad was a worker, mum was a kind of homemaker, and dinner was on the table, and she kind of looked after us. Um, and I'm not saying it's up to mum to stay at home or up to dad, but I really think these days, I think it's a big thing that we lose out on. Uh, we're kind of driven out to, to work as, as parents, um, so we can obviously have holidays and back to the kind of commodity side of things yeah. as well. Um, but back back in those days, it was um, it worked really well and it worked really well for for our family. That's excellent. They sound, they sound like really caring people. Um, so, what school did you go to, and what were your favourite subjects? My primary school was at a very small school in um, in East Ayrshire Village. Um, because it's so small, it's obviously it's not down there, it's replaced um, and the kids for that area will go to a kind of bigger town. Um, very close-knit primary school um, and it was it was effectively hard to we were a very small community. A lot of things um, happened um, like away from school. It was actually, if you like, it was organised by obviously teacher and parents in, in relation to school. Um, so I went for there to St Joseph's Academy in Kilmarnock, um, which again has all been knocked down and rebuilt. Yeah. So my uh, 
Um, my memories of school, um, I wasn't a great fan of school to be honest because my big interest always was about playing football. So my focus all the time was favourite um, subject at school was obviously PE, especially when football was on the agenda. Mm -hmm. um, so probably should have focused a bit more on school but my intentions most day was when can I go on that bus to go home to get to the park to yeah. play football and that was totally different from the way things are today where you would go to the park and it would be like jumpers for goalposts and it would be like 20 aside and everybody's <laughs> at the park unfortunately I think one of the issues that we have in today's society is we don't, we don't really have much of that anymore it's a lot of um, kind of social media um, so can I ask you the most important question then? What's your favourite football team that you support? It's going to be... I need to own up, I'm also a season ticket holder that or have been obviously oh, right. prior to the, um, the the Covid thing that we're all experiencing at the moment. Mm. Um, but I've been known to obviously sit in the, sit up there in the stands at Rugby Park on a regular basis. Ah, I see. We'll, we'll gloss over that quickly uh, then. I, I, I thought you would. I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so, uh, what was your plan when you left school? Um, what was coming up for you? Did you want to go to university or go straight into a job? To be honest, I'm no, not really that great in the academic side. Of the, mm. the, I'm really, I like to do things and I like to be part of things. Um, when I left school, the police had always been a thing that I had on my mind, but it wasn't at the forefront. Um, so what I'd done was um, I applied and I joined the Royal Navy. Oh. Um, but another cracking lesson in life came for me in relation to um, what happened there. I was only away for a very short time, and um, my father and my dad, um, he took on well while I was away oh, and it was a real check for me and I, I would never blame my dad for me but I just realised even at that really early age of 16, I don't think I was even 17, yeah. that to be away from my family just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, when I went there everything was fine, obviously you're on the phone to your folks and stuff like that, it's great yeah. but it was a wee bit of a reality check, 18 unwell thankfully still with us just now so it's a few years ago so it's not something that just happened yesterday but it just let me know look nothing can last forever let's and we, we are a really we're not a family as in like we would go and be in everybody like each other in our houses every day but we're really close and when you know that you've got people around about you we may talk a wee bit about that later, later when we're talking about connections and stuff yeah. even at a very young age I actually realised how important it was to have people around you who you were connected with, who you loved and who you wanted to basically spend your life and obviously that bit of adversity when my dad took on well, it was just a case of, do you know what, even though that career looked really, really promising, I thought, did I really want to be away from my folks and the answer quite quickly was no, so, mm -hmm. so I came out there and then uh, obviously went back to live in the, the family house. Um, but my first 10 years of working um, was caused by missing a bus, believe it or not. I see. How <laughs> did that um, So obviously when I came back for the Navy, I was there a very short time. It was only, it was only a period of a few months. Okay. Um, so I come back. Obviously I, I was focused about around the family stuff. 
but I thought to myself, what happens now? Because um, you're thinking, I, I'd effectively put all my eggs in the kind of one basket, right. um, where I've just go. Um, so I came back, I was in Kilmarnock one day, um, actually I missed the bus. So at the time, <laughs> I'm really getting back now is when we used to have job centres, where you go into the job centre and it actually used to be boards, and it was boards all the way around the room and it had wee cards on it. So I seen this job and it was uh, for a company that was in the village where I stayed. Mm-hmm. So I thought, so I was just back from the job centre to kill some time for the, the next bus to come. <laughs> so I seen this and I was like, aerials and satellite and I was doing different time communication stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, I, can, I can only ever try. So long story short there, I went for a couple of interviews with them and I ended up working them with them in a self-employed position and a managerial position wow. f- for roughly 10 years. Um, but that's where the, the change came in for me. We were working away, away from home a lot. Yeah. So again, we were going back into that, being away from family and friends. And again, it's always something that's kind of kind of continued on with me. Like having people that you love and stuff close by is really, really important. It's really important for your mental health. It's really important for the way you want to live your life. Um, so, unfortunately, that company was bought over um, by a bigger company. They didn't want all the kind of assets that were there, yeah. so they were going to kind of strip it back. There was only a particular area of that company that they wanted. So I was thinking to myself, this is really going to be a case of working for companies. So you'd work for a company for, say, maybe three months, and then you're going to be away to another company for three months. And I didn't see any stability in that at all in relation to all. I just could see that you're always going to be away from home. Um, and the stability of having a regular job, it wasn't there. So even though I always had the police in the back of my mind, at that time I knew that I probably didn't have the results for school that the police would be looking for. So I thought, how can I change and try and get some of that, that experience that they might be looking for? So I went and worked in a prison. Ah. So I started in Kilmarnock Prison roughly back early 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, that's round about the same time. Basically, was was kind of made redundant for, for that post, and um, my, my son he was only a matter of weeks old at the time. Yeah. It's quite a difficult time. So you're thinking, got a young son here, uh, and again that kind of structure of making money, like being kind of settled. That that, that was away again, but I still had the police thing in the back of my mind. I think looking for a wee bit of security as well. So. Know that thing you would go along to a job application or a job interview yeah. and say, Well, why do you want to join? Oh, I'm just looking for a secure job. Yeah. But it did come into my thinking. I, I wouldn't lie in, in relation to that, but it wasn't my thinking. So, so that was a goal of yours at the time to get into a more stable job with with police specifically, or just. It was. Uh, a my my focus job. was probably trying to get into a, a stable job, mm-hmm. but I always had the thing about the police in the back of my mind. It never left. It was one of the kind of childhood things that I thought about, but even. When, when I was away with that company, I really, really enjoyed the work, but to be honest, I enjoyed it, but I probably, to be honest, get stuck in a wee bit of rock where you go into that, I, I, I'm kind of safe here, I'm settled here, uh, things are good here, always in the back of my mind thinking, that's where I, that's where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got to that stage of when it was time to try, I thought, if I apply with the experience and stuff I've got just now, I thought to myself it wasn't quite enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and worked in the prison to try and get that yeah. experience of um, obviously the criminal justice system dealing with 
um, people that, and again, I've, I've totally changed the way um, I, I think about people that get caught up in the criminal justice system. So we're talking nearly 20 years down the line now, mm -hmm. where a lot of thoughts and feelings that I have now probably fly in the face and totally contradict what I felt at the time in relation to to policing and to the criminal justice system. At the time you think, well, it's about arresting people and getting them off the street, and if they're off the street, that's it, it's all going to be sorted out. Mm -hmm. No, I've, I've totally changed my opinion towards that now. So, but going back to the the prison, I was really lucky um, in relation to I, I did not enjoy working in prison at all. Um, to, to the extent we are actually dreaded going. Mm -hmm. And when I think back now, one of the reasons for that is at the time the people that were around me working with me and, and, and this is not being disrespectful to me I just we talk about being a team we talk about I'll always talk about connections and um, that all the time and relying upon people I just didn't feel it yeah. and because I didn't feel that I wasn't comfortable with it um, so I was really fortunate I applied um, to Strathclyde Police at the time yeah. and it was a civilian post Okay. so the civilian post was basically working in the court cells up in Paisley. Yeah. So I thought, if I'm going to get into the police, a good way to get into the police would be if becoming a civilian in the police first, uh -huh. uh, police force first. So I've done that for a few months, then another job came up in the police where I was be working in the court cells, eh, sorry, in the police cells, police. which entailed um, working a shift pattern, working alongside um, police officers. Mm -hmm. um, so I applied for that and I got that as well. So about seven years into that, um, that really went quite well, but that gave me an absolute brilliant springboard for uh, applying for the police. Uh, so I applied for the police in 2007 uh, and then became a police officer in 2008. So did you need any training in between 2007 and 8? So again, I was extremely fortunate that as a civilian in the police, um, the police is a bit strange sometimes because if you like, they've got their, their own language. Yeah. They've got their way of communicating, um, they've got their systems. But because I'd done that civilian service in the police, it, it was absolutely, it was such a springboard, it was great. Because a lot of the times, like, um, when I went to uh, Tully Allen, it was a 15-week residential yeah. course at the time. Um, you were in there, and your tutor in there was a sergeant. And there was times where she was actually asking me, is this the way we still do it? Right. <laughs> so it was really interesting that you think yeah. you're there. Um, and because and it's just because things are always changing. It's no it's no criticism of you. Yeah. Things change every single day, and one of the issues is trying to keep up with the changes and stuff. And when when you're away, obviously she'd been away to obviously mm -hmm. be the tutor, um, the training position at Tully Allen. It's quite difficult to keep up to date with what's happening back at your whether it's your station or your subdivision or, or your uh, at your force, because obviously Tully Allen at the time. Still, the the forces throughout Scotland. There wasn't just one force like we've got today, so uh -huh. it's quite difficult to try and keep up to speed all the time. What can be going on there? So, so would you say it might be a better route into the police force if someone is interested in getting into that? Absolutely. Would you say it's better to go through civilian policing rather than? Yeah, the, the, the other avenue you can also explain there is being a special constable. Um, I, I would always um, say or advise. Um, it's probably the best way to get to get yourself into the police 
um, is through either a civilian um, posting or, or through being a special constable. Um, not that that's no, um, not just what the police are looking for, because um, it, and the, the reason I think it's a good thing as well is it, it gives the person a taste of what life in the police can be like, because um, there's many aspects of policing really rewarding. Yeah. There's also many aspects of policing that's really, really tough. So it gives folk a wee flavour of, because I've I've seen people over um, the last 17, 18 years or so, where, where they come into the job and it's just no what they've expected it to be. Yeah. Um, so so, would you like to elaborate on that at all? If you, uh, when you first came into the police, was there anything that surprised you about the um, about how people acted? Uh, how people were towards you, or um, any of your roles or responsibilities you didn't expect? Probably the, the biggest thing for me, and, and it is really, really important, mm -hmm. is banter. Right, I see. <laughs> I know it sounds bizarre, but I used to think when you went into the police, it'd be like really straight laced and disciplined, which there absolutely is that, and there needs to be that. But some of the banter, it, to begin with, for me, was like, I didn't really expect that. Yeah. But it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Because to deal with the things that you deal with, if you don't have banter, if you don't have connection, if you don't have, uh, have things that you can then offload, if you like, on a, I think you would get yourself in a personal trouble yeah. really, really quickly in relation to how your life and your well-being would be. Yeah. Um, some of the things, some of the things, the laughing and the joking and some of the jokes, I don't know for what reason, but I just, at the time I thought, oh that's not going to be, that's not going to exist because mm -hmm. the police is straight laced and it's this and it's that, so, and, that so, and it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a su pleasant surprise for you actually? I was really good, I, I was really good. Good. Um, so, were there any difficulties about the process um, of when you started, was there um, anything you didn't enjoy doing or any problems you faced? My first day mm -hmm. at Paisley Sheriff Court, I can remember it like yesterday, even though it was back in 2002. So, you're going along, new job, new organisation, mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to expect and I drove into the car park Pressed the, honestly, I can remember it at least yesterday. Yeah. Push the button. This garbled noise comes out. This thing that says, "My name's Stuart Payne. I'm here for, for my first day to, to work in the in the police cells." Mm -hmm. And there was some sort of garbled thing came back. I don't even remember what that was. So the barrier goes up. So I goes up, and I just I shoot. I go in the first space I see. So I park the car. I'm nervous. It's the first day in a new job. I put my hand up and said, really nervous. So I get in, and at the time, working in police cells, you generally found that not always, it was it was older in service guys that were there. So yeah. the, these guys, a lot of them had like 30 years plus um, experience in the police. Some of the guys I worked with there had actually um, been in attendance doing it, the, the Lockerbie disaster. Mm -hmm. So the, these guys had seen some real horrific things in their service. As, as, as so the other police officers, are, I, I'm not just obviously labelling them, there's 
it can be a really horrific job sometimes and some of the stuff that, it, that you're rely, relied upon to go and deal with, it, it's, it's nothing short of horrific. But this particular day, so I parked the car and I'm in and I'm getting showed around and then I hear this guy coming who, he must have been about six feet four, he was huge and um, his name is John and he's like that. Who's who does that motor belong to you out there? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I just felt my sh my shoulders sinking. Uh -huh. I'm like, that's my car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he's like, that's in my space. And I'm like, right, I'm not like lesson number one. Don't park that space anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it starts off. The day goes kind of particularly. It's, it's fine. And then it comes to break. It comes to peace time, as it's known in, yeah. in the police. So I get into the peace room and it's just a big massive long table. It's an old fashioned big long table, folks sitting around it. And then I'm sitting there. I've been sitting there for five, ten minutes and I, I've had my lunch. And I feel this presence in my back. Right. <laughs> so and I'm like this and I look through and it's the same guy. And I just looked at him. I says, and this is also your seat. He's like ah, Aye. <laughs> I don't know just parked in the space outside. I was now sitting in his chair at the peace table and I'm like that. See that moment in time, it was just like I, I had that feeling of what have I done? Right? Why why did I even But see for that moment on mm. the people I worked with they were absolutely brilliant. Some of the grumpiest guys you'll ever meet in your life, honestly. Yeah. But they would do anything absolutely anything for you and it was absolutely brilliant the team spirit and the way things happened in there because there was some day even though it was in the cells you could have over a hundred prisoners in it and there were some violent situations in there as well and you just knew you were confident deal mate because you knew you had guys like that at yeah. your back that would they, they would probably even not to an unprofessional um, standard but they would stick up for you even if they knew you were wrong, Aye. they would stick up for you. But later on, they would come and tell you, look, can I, and they would bring you back into line, or they would say, look, I stuck up for you there, but you were probably on the right. Aye. And see, when you're working with folk that you know that I've got your back to look after you, it, it makes the job so much easier. That, that sounds like a really good community for you, because you've said a lot about a family, um, that you're quite family-based. Um, so when you first... Um, came in. What, what was, what were you doing in the sales? At Paisley Sheriff Court, it was, it was all um, care and welfare of prisoners. So, mm. um, you could be doing, and a lot of the times it was just, it's really really strange setup because you've obviously got folded find yourself in police custody, and that's probably goes into obviously working in the police sales as well. We, you've had somebody brought in, and, and I've seen it, where the level of aggression is just like 45,000 feet. Yeah. And you think to yourself, what's going on in your life that takes you to that when an hour later, or maybe sometimes in, in the, the case of when you're working at the cells, where somebody spends a weekend in custody. Mm -hmm. You can stand and chat on like a Sunday afternoon to Sunday for an hour, mm -hmm. and they'll tell you about what's happened in their life. Mm -hmm. And then you think to yourself, no wonder, 
And I always describe it as like a bottle of coke. If you shake it and shake it and shake it, when you take the lid off, it'll just explode everywhere. So sometimes it's about trying to help people just release their lid a wee bit. Now and again, so it doesn't get to that chaotic stage where it's boiled over and basically somebody's lost it, if you like, mm-hmm. and then they find themselves now in police custody for the weekend. Yeah. Um, and that's probably where I've kind of shifted a lot of um, the way I think mm-hmm. in relation to... Always, at the time when you first join the police, you're excited. You get, you do get really excited about arresting people. And, but as you move through time, it becomes, I'm arresting that person, but now because that's happened, they could potentially spend the next 50 or 60 years. And don't get me wrong, then they they're getting arrested for a reason. Yeah. Right. And that's no, it's no, it's not really my fault as such. Yeah. But I think to myself now. You could potentially suffer now the next 40, 50, 60 years of deprivation because now you've got a criminal record, mm-hmm. um, your chances have been reduced, and sometimes that can be through um, sometimes it's, it's a bit of stupidity rather than any ill will or malice or aggression towards, and sometimes it's just. And it, it becomes disheartening to me that I think that because that's happened to a person, it's reduced their opportunities in life. And the story I tell in relation to that is like you've got, just say you've got somebody on the outside, uh, just say a nightclub or it doesn't matter where it is, and, and they assault somebody, the police get contacted, and I'm not condoning violence in any shape or form because there's no place for it. But that particular scenario, the police get called, somebody gets arrested, they go to court, they end up with a conviction for assault. That's so detrimental to the rest of where they can go in their life. But that same scenario will play out somewhere in Scotland over this weekend. Where there would be no police involvement, there'll be no medical involvement, and that scenario will play out that that person will then get to that positive destination in the world of work and they can go and spend the rest of their life quite happy. Yeah. But because the first scenario isn't there, and that's so detrimental to the rest of their life. So, first and foremost, I'm a police officer when I'm out and about, but I'm also a dad, again, I'm an uncle, and I, I think about. And, and it's in relation to a lot of the other things that you own. It's people. At the end of the day, it's people you're dealing with. It's not just, I've arrested a guy or I've arrested a woman. Yeah. Again, it's about, they're also a son or a daughter and they'll have things going on in their lives. And sometimes it's about the rippling impact, the effect that that one, and sometimes it is just a moment of madness. But that moment of madness or that silly decision can be holy and so detrimental to the rest of their life. Sometimes for me that just doesn't fit. So um, do you have any particularly memorable stories or moments from when you were in the cells specifically other than this big guy coming in Uh, the first time? (laughs) Um, As you can imagine working in a custody suite for nearly seven years there's Mm. there's many stories that will have to remain untold. <laughs> but again, some 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 really funny things have happened in relation to um, one of the things I can think about. Was, I don't know if you've ever been to like a play park and it's got the kind of big funnel type things that you can talk to your friend who's yeah. at the other side of the park. Mm-hmm. So in the Govan Police Station, I've been back a few years now, right enough. Yeah. And it used to be that prisoners would there was a small vent that you could go down in line next to you and you could have a chat with the person that was next to you. Yeah. Um, but there was, there was this particular fellow, um, 
police cells know the most pleasant places in the world to be. But it's one of these kind of stainless steel toilets. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking along. When you work in the cells, um, you, you basically you check in on prisoners at least once an hour. Yeah. So I'm just going and doing a, 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 a routine hourly check. Mm -hmm. And I can hear this. It was almost like shouting, but it was really, really echoey. Yeah. I was like, it's really bizarre. Because it, was, it wasn't unusual for obviously prisoners to kind of talk through the wall and such. Yeah. Um, so I get to this particular cell to look in mm -hmm. to see that this guy's physically get his head doing the toilet oh. <laughs> talking to the person that's next to him so I'm thinking that he's thinking that this is one of these things you get in the play part where you can talk to your friends through it. Um, but it was I suppose you had to be there it was, it was really really funny um, oh man <laughs> but um, no there was there, there was many things and, and, and again I always go back to it it's about that kind of teen spirit and, mm -hmm. and the banner the banner on the police is it's huge. It's needed. Without banter, the vast majority of people working in the police, I don't think they could they could manage it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 100% is, is required. Okay. So, um, after you were in the cells at Strathclyde, did you come straight to Queen Margaret? Um, or was there anything else in between? No, after I finished in the cells, joined the police in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, a couple of different postings, mainly up in um, East Ayrshire, around about the Cumnock area, yeah. um, and I had a couple of postings in Kilmarnock as well, and a kind of community-based team there. Um, very different. Yeah. Um, when you're obviously Kilmarnock's a bigger town, um, when you go into kind of the smaller towns and then into the villages, um, and what. What I noticed, Rory, over like many years, folk will kind of label, you know, label towns and villages and mm -hmm. see anywhere I've ever worked, see the vast majority, I'd probably say like 95%, even higher. Every place I've ever worked, the vast majority of people, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And I think it can be, you've heard it yourself where somebody will mention a town or a village and I'll have an elite to there. That happens a lot. But Stayed in Mabel my whole life. So. Uh, <laughs> but then if you're no fame, Mabel, for God, I want Mabel, but these places are not like that. So, yeah. you know what I mean? We can, across the board, we get quite, we, we can label people in areas really too quickly. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't matter whether it's in Govan or Cumnock or Kilmarnock or wherever you work. Mm. Um, the vast majority of people allow the police to police by consent. We police, in this country, we police by the consent of the public. Yeah. The public allow us to police the way we police, and irrespective of where you go, mm -hmm. that is the majority of people. Um, and, I, and I don't care where you are. There might be areas where that, that ratio is slightly less, I, I get that, but in general, um, so, so even in um, and it actually takes me back to a, to a story when before I joined the police, uh -huh. where I went to this, I was doing um, a block, it was a block of flats and they were getting new TV radios and this was a company I was looking for before, and this house went in it, and it, it was just a young single mum and she's like, oh, can I get you a cup of tea? And I was like, bearing in mind, it was quite, the area, um, it wasn't the best areas. Um, but he goes in and she's like, oh, could I make you a cup of tea? Mm. And this girl had absolutely nothing. 
machine, nothing. There was hardly a carpet on the floor, and there was nothing. Yeah. But on the floor, honestly, you could have ate your dinner off her floor. <laughs> her flat was, even though she had nothing, it was immaculate. Her flat was absolutely immaculate. Yeah. And she made us a cup of tea, and her, her, uh, the, it was a, it was coffee jars that she was using as mm. cups. Yeah. And there you go, can you say, oh, that's an area, kind of deprived area, but yeah. look, this young girl, young mum, mm. doing her absolute best, courteous, offering you a drink of tea. Yeah. I just thought it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And again, it was another lesson, don't judge people by where they live. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And even in these places, See, when you go to these places, and I've worked in a lot of these places, I still believe the vast majority of people there are not there because they bother. Mm. They've, they've just fun themselves falling against times that maybe some of the rest of us haven't experienced. Yeah. Um, so, so we shouldn't be standing judging areas or judging people because we, we, we don't know the full facts. Mm. We don't know what's happened in their life there. We don't know their backstory, we don't know the circumstances. So so why should we be standing there judging them? That makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I definitely get that. Um, so are you happy to move on to Queen Margaret at this point? Or is there anything else you my, my, my postings, if you like, mainly my come up posting where I, I spent nearly 10 years there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a response. Um, so that was very much um, somebody calls the police, you go. So yeah. the, the vast marine, the range of things is unbelievable. And I, th- I think sometimes in the police, um, e- even as police officers and members of the public um, and folk in our community, even ourselves, we don't realise the vast array of things that you can actually deal with in the police. Um, it's, it's, it's really extreme, the amount of stuff you can expect to deal with. Uh, for things that could appear extremely minor right through to obviously really horrific yeah. incidents and everything in between and how livestock can get moved and there's just a f- oh, it's wow. an absolute minefieldy stuff out there but the good thing is um, we've got a structure in the police and we've got information that we can go back and reference to when things came up that you think well I've not really dealt with this before or you've got a colleague who might have dealt with it some other time you you really need to, you need to tie in. You need to be saying, right, this is what I've got. And see that? Still happens in here. That happens on a regular basis in here as well, where you've got the structure of the school, and that's where I think, obviously working in the school, um, wasn't much different for me, because um, staff, senior leadership team, head teacher, janitor, you name it. And I don't want you to talk about obviously positions in that because there's so many amazing people run about us every single day in mm-hmm. school and we don't realise it. The experiences of what might have happened to them or the help that they can provide us it is really and I don't want to sound but it's a real team effort mm-hmm. and I think that's why this school for me works particularly well yeah. because there isn't that yep we've got the right structure if you like where you've got You've got a boss who's responsible, but that boss for me, being the head teacher, mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant at using all the expertise that she's got around yeah. her, rather than making it, well, I'm just going to make all the decisions. 
she'll listen to what everybody's got to say, then she'll make a decision. See the fact that everybody's involved in that decision making, kind mm -hmm. of coming out with ideas and stuff like that. Key to how you make anything work. You ask me. That makes sense. It, it does. So I think I think I know what you're talking about. And having joined S Six now, we have we have a lot of organisation uh, through leadership and even things like this, um, which I think is great. So. So social media is a massive issue for young people. Um, would you like to give any advice to teenagers online? Again, you get fed up with Rory saying about connections, and you could argue the bit that we are probably the most connected society mm -hmm. that's ever been in relation to social media. Most folk have a phone, and even in schools. It's a distraction um, on so many different levels. I'm not the best to talk to in relation to social media if you're looking for any positives from it, because a lot of my dealings with social media are unfortunately negative. And I get that there is positive uses out there for it, but in relation to young people, if you ask me, it's wholly detrimental to them. Um, because the, the reason I'm going to go back to like my childhood when we were really eager to get home, to go to the park yeah. and play 20-a-side football, jumpers for goalposts. Mm -hmm. We don't have that anymore. But folk will argue, oh, but I can talk through this. And I totally get through the current situation with COVID. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, it's a really, really difficult situation because we, we need to be like, in contact and, uh, and like, so we're not being ostracised even further for, for what's going on. Yeah. But that said, the social media thing for me is extremely false in relation to that we're, we're, we're conforming to an expectation of what the social media media world should be saying. Yeah. Where if you ask me, because we've effectively replaced time, time spent in parks with kids playing and interaction and having that close bonding connection mm -hmm. where you can actually see the person, we've replaced that with an iPad. Yeah. And we really need to reign against um, time is more important. So it's even like parents with, with their children. I see it too often where you could do in the high street or wherever you might be and, and there's a wee kid in the, in the, the push chair and, and they've got their, their mum or their dad's phone or they're on an iPad. My, we need to reign against that. We need to um, be time spent, time spent with people, time spent at the park, no going down the, the kind of iPad route and just, because there's very little, even though it's full of information, very little key learning because in life you're not going to learn how to be compassionate and understanding and fairness and reading social things. It's like the old favourite way if I turn around and say to you right now, mm. right, Rory, shut up. Yeah. Right, you can tell with my body language and stuff right now that I'm just having a laugh with you. Yeah. But sometimes on a, on a social media platform or whatever kind of messenger, mm. shut up can we? It's really difficult to, to see how we can take that in the context that it's meant to be in. I get some folk might just stick an emoji smiley face or something and that. But I've even done it myself where I've picked up my phone and I've read a text message and I'm like, who does he think he is? <laughs> and, 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 you, and then like, maybe five minutes later or you'll pick it back up and you'll read it and you see it in a different... Mm -hmm. but sometimes with young people, that five minutes is enough for them to go off at 35,000 mile an hour and before you know it, you've got a fight. Uh -huh. right? And in relation to 
other aspects of social media and well-being. It's like the, the full kind of TikTok thing. You've like, see if you've got a young person who's a bit of fun on TikTok and they're sharing it with their friends and it's all fun and, and there's no animosity behind that. that that's fine, um, enjoy that. But what I'm seeing now is folk are trying to conform to the social media world by maybe doing a wee dance or something or putting it, posting it out there and it's no because they're enjoying it, it's because they're trying to fit in yeah. with other things that's going on and we need to rein against the YouTubers and all that kind of stuff because if you ask me, the way they portray themselves, that's no real life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I know that, and as we were talking about before obviously we started recording, I was talking about obviously bonds, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a negative bond between a person and social media because they've got nothing else going on in their life that's, that's, that's positive. And it becomes too much. Yeah. That kind of kind of way of life, and try to just all and it's you see it where folk. Oh, I need to take a picture of that, and I need to post that. Aye. Folk taking pictures of their dinner and posting it. But the flip side to that, see, just say you've got see two hundred friends on Facebook, and you've taken a picture mm-hmm. of your brand new car, yeah. right? Probably one hundred ninety-five the people that you because they know if you ask me that. Their followers on Facebook, they'll know your friends, right? In relation to, uh, you might be friendly with them, you might know them, but out of that 200 people that you might have on Facebook, see when you're in dire need of your hand, the hand that you need is not going to come for your Facebook friends, it's not going to come for your Twitter followers or your Instagram followers, mm-hmm. it's, going, it's going to come for your f- flesh and blood friends that's close by and run about you. And what I was going to get at there was, Thank you, Steve, for I can see you 200 f- friends on Facebook. You post a picture of your brand new car. You'll get comments. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the car, I like this and that. But see, really, behind the scenes, they're like, ah, who do you think he is? <laughs> okay, well, I mean, and there's a lot of, even though the, the comments might, but the actual real, there's real negative stuff going on in the background. And I, ju- I just don't think that's healthy for, for us all. Yeah. I think it's an unhealthy. Area. And I know there's folk out there that will argue, um, but again, through this, I'm just sharing my experience of yeah. how I see things. It's not to say that because I see it that way, it's right or wrong, because um, I'm always open to like, what other folks' opinions are about things are, but mm-hmm. it's just over the years um, in relation to like mental health, and folk will talk about the amount of mental health issues that we have. And, when, when I start stripping that back and like listening to my dad, um, again, this is just my opinion. But when I listened to him, when he was a boy, he was doing the pit working when he was 14 and oh. he had two or three jobs before before he had that job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I says, what, what, why did you leave that to go to the pit? He was like, he says, oh, he says, back, this probably came back into the kind of, maybe in the, in the 1950s. He says, if you didn't like that job, you just went across the road and you got another job. So there was loads of work, Mm -hmm. right? So if there was loads of work, right away that's connection, because if you're at your work, you're connected with people, you're working with guys, you might not particularly like your work, but you're there. Mm -hmm. And this will lead me on to saying how I think it's going back to the the big fancy thousand or two cars in in the drive. For me, for my upbringing and values, what a lot of nonsense. Because we put far too much pressure on ourselves. So it's easy to conform to the big house with the two fancy cars in the drive. That's to satisfy what other people think of you. Yeah. 
But if you're putting yourself under so much pressure, maybe doing a job that you don't like very much, and you're there day in, day out, to conform to the big fancy house with the two fancy cars, to conform to what somebody else thinks about, that is going to drive your mental health mm -hmm. through the floor because you spend a lot of time at your work. Yeah. But what I was getting at there is, so when you go back to the 50s when my dad was working, see if you didn't like it, you just went somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you could generally find something that you, you didn't mind or maybe you can, if you enjoyed them. I think some of the figures just now, the band about who, the working population, 13% of the working population enjoy their work. Yeah. Right, so that tells you that the other don't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So they're spending a lot of time, most days, doing something that you don't enjoy. I don't care who you are, that is going to drive your mental health mm -hmm. down. Because if we start dreading things or no one to come to work, that over a period of time, that, that's not going to make us feel good. Yeah. It's, it's no. And when you talk about what happened and listening to my dad, when you started moving towards the 70s and into the 80s, it was a bit of a change in relation to You can even think of the, the changes in their environment around about, like, uh, you could go back and you could talk about tenement buildings, and folk will say, oh, it was the slums, it was this and that. But see, in a lot of these places, they were a tough community. Mm -hmm. The community were there, and what happened is as well, even in the working community, see if, like, in the working places, just say that somebody found out that somebody had maybe lifted their hands to their way from the house. Yeah. See, the, the social clubs and all that tight knit, guys would, it would get dealt with, but no in a formal way, like the way it gets dealt with now with the police and obviously services coming in. Yeah. Communities just to deal with things, as to say, right, we've heard this is happening, no more of that. Yeah. But at the same time, and I'm not saying that it's for um, any particular parent to stay in the house, but at the time, it was very much that dad was out working, mum was in the house looking after the kids, but what was happening in there, there was nurture happening in there, um, there was caring, there was, the dinner was on the table, so you come in for school and you could have like conversation yeah. and a lot of that stuff was looked after. And I'm still a believer, I'm not saying that, I just think that one parent should be afforded to, to be able to stay in the house yeah. um, when, when kids are really young for that nurturing environment. Um, for all that, because the most important time in a, a kid's life is between, uh, it's the first four years, so it's from being in the womb to three, and that's where, in anybody's life, the most um, learning takes place. So that's when you learn to walk and talk and all them big major things, but at the same time, you're learning how to be compassionate, and you're learning how to compromise, and you're learning how to share, and you're, you're actually, your parents are teaching you how not to be violent, because you look at a very young kid, they'll hit you in the face. Yeah. So without any sort of guidance and teaching and education for your family or whoever's looking after you, you'll go through your life hitting people in the face. Mm -hmm. But it's because you've had those nurturing, and you've been brought up in that nurturing environment. You've um, you've been taught how to kind of deal with um, how to share and how to negotiate and compromise and all these kind of things. That some folk call them life skills. I like to call them mere attributes because it's not a thing that you can. I'm just going to go and polish up my life skills a day kind of thing. It's, um, so when you see all that, kind of, and at the same time when you talk about like, even like places like Irvine, Irvine is classed as a new town. Yeah. So there's a new town there, and the bit that kind of sticks in my mind is that there's a massive housing estate at the top of Kilmarnock um, called South Craigs, which is it? Oh, my brother goes to Oh, 
So this this housing estate up in um, Kilmarnock, it's called Southgate, and you look at that and you think to yourself, it's a nice place, there's lots of nice houses there, but there's no community. You look around about it, because I used to cover up there in one of my community policing roles, mm-hmm. and when you're there, there's, there's no like church there, there's no shops there, there's no community centre there, yeah. there's no community spirit there. So when you compare that, you think, well, that's a nice area in Kilmarnock to live. And then if you compare that to, say, if you're going back years and years ago to maybe some of the tenements in Glasgow, the community spirit, even though folk will say, oh, the tenements, all this and all that, and granted there would be some areas that weren't very nice to stay in, but even in their places you had community spirit. We do, we lack that now. Mm -hmm. And see, because I think we, and at the times when, Obviously, our, our mums were in having their chat with the next door neighbour and kind of their, their, their housework done and all that. Yeah. What they were also doing there, they were, they were sharing their problems. So they're sharing their problems, they're negotiating, they're constantly like, oh, this is what I've got to know. And then, so, so if you like, it was a bit, even though they didn't realise it at the time, it'd be effectively like a wee therapy session. Yeah. Kind of, it would be happening, it would be taking place. All that stuff went on. Mm-hmm. It knew because we value commodity over time. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of that stuff is now missing for me and because a lot of that stuff missing that communication that being together the the bonds yeah. that's why I think a lot of these the, the mental health issues because one of the worst things I think to be albeit I like to spend a bit of time on my own I don't mind that I think one of the worst things in the world that somebody can be is to be alone yeah. because it flies in the face of human instincts I mean, because we, we can't survive without other people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, like, there's no way that you and I could have got to these chairs today, even this morning, without the help of somebody else, whether it was whoever built my car or whoever put the, the diesel in the petrol station where I get my diesel to yeah. the, the truck driver that delivered what I had for my breakfast this morning. <laughs> we, we just couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it. So, and I think if you start then putting people on their own, with their own problems and all these things, I think that mani- manifests bigger problems. And it really goes back to that. We need to be there for people. And even if it's just a wee check-in in the morning and say, hey, how are you doing today, bro? Are you all right? Yeah. Aye. See, right away, you actually put a wee smile on your face. Yeah. So we need to be doing more of that. We need to be looking out more. It's a wee bit like the policing thing now that we're my, my probably opinion towards. We need to reduce the need for services. We need to reduce the need for the police. We don't need more of those things. Because by the time someone comes to the police, many things have failed and something's went wrong and somebody's been really detrimentally affected by what's going on. Us coming along, which we're really good at, we'll investigate a thing, we'll get the evidence together, we'll package that up and we'll get it to the fiscal and that will get dealt with. But the bit that I look at now is See for us, see by the time it comes to us as police officers, the stuff's already hand. Mm-hmm. And see that stuff's already hand, you generally find that there's a person in there. And, and we, we talk about victims and that all the time, but we need to peel that back a bit. Yeah. That victim is a person, that, that victim is somebody's son or somebody's daughter, and, and somebody cares for them, or can they, they've got their own life, it's a, mm-hmm. and sometimes we detach ourselves that, from that a wee bit, and I think we need to reconnect with that again. To say like, right, how would you have like that, right, that's the scenario here. 
see if that was a family member of mine, or if that was me, how would I like that to be dealt with? What would I want somebody to do for me? And that's the way I can, not just police. Obviously, I'm a police officer and I've got processes to follow and I get that, and I've got professionalism and I get that, but I try and follow my morals in relation and see most of the times they kind of tie in with the ethics of the police yeah. and fairness and integrity and obviously um, a folding fold of their human rights. Mm-hmm. But when you take it and peel all that back, see if you can just look out for folk and look after folk and be kind to folk. Yeah. A lot of that other stuff naturally comes along. It's just we do a lot of the right stuff and we can be super critical a lot of the times about negative things that can run about us. But for every negative thing that's run about us, there's way more positives. It's just it's human nature for us to focus on, on negative stuff. But we need to shift the paradigm and be like, we need to shift to being... We, we, are, the, we are at the top of the food chain mm-hmm. because we all work together. That needs to be enhanced in relation to... Hi, there's negative things happen. But let's focus more on the positive things and I think that would take a care of a lot of... The, the feelings and the anxieties that we that are raised through the kind of negative things that's going on. That makes that makes sense. It seems like a massive connection for you is between people and how we treat each other and act around each other and um, what that can lead to in other folks' lives and also a big connection between social media and how people feel um, and the sort of message you put out to people if you're always putting out negative feelings and you're not asking people how their day is that can have a bad effect on how someone may act and it seems as though you're saying police is like a last line of defence um, and have I, have I got that right there? Aye, absolutely and as a case of by the time something comes to the, the door of the police, as we probably said before, that yeah. many things have failed or there's many opportunities to iron that out mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of times they're always looking for the solution to come from above. But the solution for me lies at the bottom, it lies at every level at the bottom, just doing tiny wee things. It's like, as you'll know, very rarely will I pass anybody in the school without saying hello. Because what I'm thinking all the time, I'm not thinking for one minute there's adversity in your life. But sometimes the difference between having like a reasonable day and a, a good day or or a not so good day in a reasonable day is just somebody maybe spending a bit of time, a couple of minutes, just checking in with you to make sure you're alright. Because the big thing with that is that every single person needs it, and I don't care who you are, one of the fundamentals, it's a bit like the shell, I think we were talking about earlier on, valued, everybody needs to be valued, and everybody needs to realise that they are, irrespective of where you're from, who you are, you need to be valued. And see without value and meaning and structure to anybody's day, that again, doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Any, when these things become missing in your life, that's when I think people then become more susceptible to trying to make that bond with things in life that are more so healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, like they'll bond to um, drugs, heroin, cocaine, alcohol, mm-hmm. then, because that's the way human beings are wired, we're wired for connection, we're wired for bonding, and sometimes if they positive bonds are there, human nature, we will go and get our bond for something else, and sometimes that can be, as we're saying, gambling, heroin, alcohol, 
it's a substance or another way because we need to be human beings for me, we need to be connected to something. Um, and unfortunately, when the um, times of adversity arise, folk can quite quickly go and bond to, to, to other things whereby they need people. Mm-hmm. And then that flies in the face for me in relation to the way that your society deals with people sometimes. And uh, what I'll come through that's like alienation. So you could have somebody who is, is let's say, acting up. And because they're not conforming to what society says, mm-hmm. we get them, we deal with them, and whether that's we just want them to be somewhere else, yeah. and whether that's like outside the classroom door, or whether that's an exclusion, or whether that's in a police cell, mm-hmm. that's that's the way it works. And we probably need a massive change of attitude towards rather than let's not alienate people, let's turn around and say what happened to you? Because if somebody's needing, it's like an addiction for me. If somebody's a- addicted to heroin, we are really good at providing somebody with that. Right, you're on heroin, we'll treat your heroin addiction. Yeah. And I see this through the criminal justice system where you'll get somebody who will say be, they've got a hole in their life, they've got something that needs to be repaired but to deal with that hole in their life, they'll turn to say heroin, just using heroin as, a, as yeah, an example. So they will go, um, they'll struggle in heroin, then they'll start stealing, mm-hmm. they'll steal for their family, they'll steal for, they'll start shoplifting, and eventually there's lots of folk running about them, trying to support them best they can, but if it just fails. And when they're stealing, eventually they'll come to the attention of the police, and if they keep coming to attention to the police, they'll eventually go to prison. They go into prison. They actually sometimes get off the substance in prison. They'll, they'll come out of prison and they'll be relatively healthy when they come out. Yeah. We put them back in at the same association, in the same houses, in the same area, mm-hmm. but we've not repaired the hole in their life. The circle begins again. Yeah. So it just keeps going and going and going. So what I would think is, you should be saying, right, that person, what is it you need a hand with? Yeah. Right, we know you've got the drug addiction, but without repairing the hole, or trying to make that hole in the life a wee bit smaller, whether that's been some sort of trauma they suffered in their life, or whether it's isolation, or whether it's some sort of a, a kind of significant event that's happened to them, or like a bereavement or something like that, mm-hmm. um, we, we need to spend more time fixing the, fixing what's wrong with people, mm-hmm. or what's not so much what's wrong sometimes, Sometimes a lot of times it's what's happened to them. What has happened to you in the past that makes you feel like this. Mm-hmm. And without tackling that, your circles will just continue. But within that circle, you might end up in a relationship and then you end up having a baby and then you're just bringing that kid into the world yeah. and then the circles begin again. And uh, even though, as I said before, I'm not very academic, I can see a link between, just through, and this is not me being the big I am, as I said, I didn't go to university, stuff that I see is because, or they say about it, it's just because I've seen it in the past. I actually can link all this stuff in, um, and, and whether it's addiction and, or trauma or whatever it might be, I tend to find that there is always that wee path that, 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 that links everything. 
and you can talk about even folks' behaviour and folk go, why would you do such such a thing? It comes down to bare bones sometimes. Folk will do things because they actually just don't know any better because I've never had anybody in their life to turn and say, yeah. don't do that because that's not a good idea because this is what can happen or this is the effect it can have in you or that's the effect it can have on somebody else or that's how it can be detrimental for what you want to do for, for the rest of your life. Um, and, and where that really got hammered home for me was um, back in the early 2000s, obviously I was no longer working um, for the police mm-hmm. um, and, and it was Glasgow. Glasgow had a major problem at the time and the major problem with knife crime and it's a major problem with, with gangs and, uh, and it was predominantly young male boys, at least 16, 17, 18, because yeah. um, nobody would think it's sexist in any shape or form, but violence is a, is a male orientated thing. You look at the vast majority of prisons um, up and down the, they're full of males. You, <laughs> see that you don't get violent on an office, you get, you get prisons as well, but predominantly it's a, it's a male thing. But the thing that I found, um, I don't know why you use the word phrase particularly interesting, but you had these young guys at the time up in Glasgow, they didn't actually realise if you stuck a knife in somebody's upper torso, there's a chance you could kill them. Yeah. So, to you and I, that would seem really, really alien, of course, that's a risk of that. But these few guys, they, they, they had been stabbed before and they had stabbed other people before, mm-hmm. but it didn't obviously result in a death. But they actually didn't have the understanding of if you do that, you might actually kill somebody. Yeah. So that was a real lesson for me because that said to me, there's t- things going around about us all the time, and you do, you're like, why would you do such a thing? And the simple answer to this because nobody's tell them or gave them advice or guidance. And that's where I think school, and I think that I picked up for school over the years, um, the, the two, three years of, well, nearly three years I've been here now. Is, you can talk about attainment and you can talk about exam results and you can talk about other stuff. The most valuable lessons that happen, we can't imagine. See the amount of work that goes on here and and we teach it, they don't even, it's so, no I use the term undervalued, no undervalued. They actually don't realise how important it is because they don't actually know they're doing it because we can't measure the impact that it has, if that makes sense. But that works every single day in here. I see it every single day. Um, and I always say as well, there'll be folk who leave school, say the end of fourth year. They might not have a qualification. But see the stuff. One, they've learned in here. And see two, see because there was a significant adult in here that was their rock. That's the reason they're away on today other things, because school will not define you as a person, mm-hmm. it will never define you as a person. But see, for me, see if we can capture that yeah. better, you you would increase the value of a school a million times over. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you'll see in the papers and stuff, uh, performance schools and all that, see the root, the stuff, and I'm not saying that exam results are not important, of course they're important. They're, they're important for numerous things. But we can count that. Mm-hmm. We can put that up in a pie chart, right? Yeah. But see the real important stuff and about how we are just connected with our school community. Yeah. Can you quantify that? So that makes it really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. But stuff like that is abundantly clear. And I can maybe I'm a bit biased because I've only ever worked in one school and it's here. Yeah. I might be a bit biased towards that. Maybe that happens in other schools. I'm sure it does. 
But it's every day. I see that every single day in here. So, um, moving on a little bit, but going back to what you said about um, everyone having value. Uh, recently, there was a massive matter with police and Black Lives Matter in America, um, and we saw a lot of positive and negative things about police. Some being advocates for um, for the community and everything, and others who maybe weren't uh, so good. When you are sitting, maybe seeing some stuff about this on the news or on social media, uh, what were you thinking? Um, yeah. I can put it into one word. Go for it. And that was sad. Yeah. And like that, that's how um, the way we police in this country is is totally different from what can happen in other places. Um, one twenty twenty. We, we should be driving equality every single day yeah. um, and my values in that are reflected, I'm taking my values right down to the values that were installed by me and, and see the time as we say, my mum and dad never, I'm going to install these values into you, yeah. my values came from the way that they were, mm -hmm. right, and that's through the police force in Scotland, we, we don't, we're all about human rights and integrity and fairness and and their values, you can then turn them into my personal values, you can you can link all them in together. Um, and equality within twenty twenty. And it's uh, we need to drive and we need to go and we need to all be about equality. Um, and the violence and everything else that went with that. It just the full thing made me sad that we're in twenty twenty and, and we're having these conversations around about what's going on um, but the way that policing in Scotland we are, what is that? it's not our style it's not our style of policing the police by consent here it's all about community led it's about because let's be honest if, if I'm working with a colleague and I go to a place and there's, there's 200 people there mm -hmm. and I want to move the 200 people there's only two people Right, so you see that group decide, I'm not going anywhere, yeah. right? But it's the consent of the public in this country that will turn and say, the police are here, I've asked us to move, and we're going to move. Yeah. That's not the same style as the way other police forces around the world mm -hmm. work. So, because effectively we're a service and no a force where you've got obviously other police forces, but we do lots of work around about diversity. We do lots of work about using reasonable force as necessary when things because we've we've got that tool in the bag if you like. Mm -hmm. Is it a thing we try and use as a last resort? Absolutely it is. Because we we're trying to resolve situations. A lot of times where when you even use I don't know if you remember a few years ago there was a lot of kind of riot in London. Yeah. So what you had there was there's lots of violence going on there was businesses getting built, you know, like burned down, like businesses that had been obviously built up over, I think it was even a case where um, it was a particular department store or something, I think it was in the family for over a hundred years, so that's a lot of work, this department store getting burned down. Yeah. So what you got is, you get the police and they were there and they were standing by, so you basically had a lot of folk, oh, the police are there, they're doing nothing about that and really complaining against the police. And then things spilled over, and then the police started intervening in some areas. 
So what you got there was another group of people. Oh, the police have been too heavy-handed. Yeah. So when it comes to police, really, really difficult to get that balance between. But as in the police, see if you go back to your human rights and your integrity and your fairness, and try to keep people safe. Yeah. That should be the driver behind what we do next kind of thing. There shouldn't be any other ulterior motive yeah. to the way we deal with a thing. Mm-hmm. Again, there should be absolutely not. 2020, when it's about equality. It's about being, being fair to people, everybody getting a, a fair chance and that. That's probably one of the things that rings true with me every single day. And that's even to some people who, whether they misbehave or, or whether they've committed a crime or whether a substance issues or, or an alcoholic, a lot of the times for me, Rory is, sometimes we just need to give somebody a chance. Yeah. Get what I mean? Either they've fell on hard times or they've done something they maybe shouldn't have done. But everybody deserves a chance and as long as somebody's got a breath in their body they've got that percent potential to change yeah but a lot of times one it might need a bit of education all the time it's a hand sometimes somebody just needs a hand to turn things around yeah. um, so i think a lot of your principles in police scotland um, they go back to the fearless integrity respect and all that kind of stuff the human rights yeah. um, and i think for us here that, that's why um, but there's, there's a lot of times we iron things out. You're always going to get elements uh, of different areas, even sometimes some positive stuff in media, mm-hmm. some negative stuff in the media, some positive stuff. Uh, but I still wholeheartedly believe if I made decisions in my policing career that turned out only the best, I have did I turn up to go to that particular thing that day saying, I'm going to make a poor decision today? Don't do that. Yeah. Sometimes things just they unfurl and it comes out the other end you're like, maybe that wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. We're all human beings. Again, we're human, there's a human aspect to it as well. But I still think, obviously, within police Scotland, the vast majority, a high percentage of folk, turn up to their work every day to just try and make it a wee bit better today than it was yesterday, and so it's a wee bit better tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and see if we can get lots of folk thinking like that, it would make it a lot better to the bottom up, if that's making sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, I'll move on to finishing up. Um, now is, it, is there any stereotypes about police w- that you think if somebody looked at you um, th- that you'd like to dispel? And right, the one big one right, go for it. is, see when a police car goes by and it's got his blue zone as we say and it's siren, mm-hmm. it's not because somebody's gone for their lunch or their dinner <laughs> or their piece. That's a big myth I want to dispel. Because yeah. um, the amount of times I've been... When, um, <laughs> With, with, with friends and family and there's maybe a police car goes back and you hope oh, well, that's him getting back to the station so they're, they're done or still that's absolute nonsense yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens more often than know where you might just go in and try and get your break and before you know it um, you're getting a call to go to mm-hmm. go to somewhere somewhere else yeah right, so no, that's a myth I'd love to dispel alright okay um, alright so I'll move on to the last couple of questions here if that's alright um so, what have been your favourite moments so far in um, throughout when you joined the police um, as a civilian all the way up until now? I'd probably say the thing I enjoyed the most is, even though I've met some, I mean, could describe them as extremely trying people <laughs> in the last few years, yeah. I still think. 
it's been a great experience for me to allow me to meet so many people. Yeah. Um, and I still, as we touched on before as well, I've seen, um, I've seen some people who have violence has been absolutely extreme, mm-hmm. extreme, extreme violence. And yet, once they're taken away for that, and the, the calm, and then maybe like a day or so later, there's some people they, they wouldn't even know a place sitting where's the day and we could have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think sometimes what what as we said before, what takes you for there, mm-hmm. to to where you are, and then brings you back. And I, I find that really interesting because when you're listening to folk like that, they've got a story to tell, yeah. and sometimes these stories. For their own, they're horrific, mm-hmm. and um, it's not just about focusing on horrific stories all the time, but being able, being able to meet folk and have conversations with them, and and it is really rewarding sometimes because it is. It's like I'm not going to hide the fact that if you can if you can go to your work one day and think, no, every day is feels rewarding. Mm-hmm. But if you can go to your work some days and go home and say, Do you know, what? I actually helped that couple out today, or yeah. I helped somebody, and I just think. No being selfish, but it, it does give you a good feeling sometimes. I can't help that, I can't hide it. Some days it is really, really good. Mm, looking um, for something that's rewarding. Aye, that's absolutely. And, yeah. and and when somebody turns around and says, look, I appreciate your help today, yeah. can, there's just something in you that says, Jim, you you're welcome. Yeah. Mate, I'm happy to help. Um, right, so I'm, I'm thinking of making this a tradition on um, when we're doing an interview. Uh, would you like to name your... Uh, three songs that uh, you consider a big part of, um, you know, throughout all of this. Yeah, three three obvious ones for me will be Jailhouse Rock, oh, right. <laughs> okay. Elvis Presley, <laughs> um, um, Can't Stand Losing You right. by The Police, and I Want to Break Free by Queen. Oh. The worst thing in the world that can happen in the police if you're chasing somebody and you don't catch them, yeah. um, you're going to get a bit of, um, let's say, some banter thrown towards you when you go back to the station. So it's uh, like, can't stand, lo- can't, um, stand losing news. Um, uh, that's pertinent. Right. <laughs> okay. So, has there been any periods um, throughout your entire career that you've struggled with or didn't enjoy um, that you'd like to talk about? Again, I'd say I'm really fortunate because through my policing career mm. I've had um, family and colleagues run about me and it goes back again, you will always hear you goes talking about connections and stuff again. Mm. See, just having the bonds run about you is so, so important and I think as you can imagine over a period of nearly like 18, 19 years working in a police environment, you, you do come up against some horrific things. Yeah. And to try and deal with them as a person on your own, would, I would probably say it would be nigh on impossible. So it's all a bit key about having folk run about you um, to support you. And probably because of the support that I've had run about me, all my police and service, whether that's been my shift or my family, yeah. um, that, that probably stops you from maybe getting into that realm of a bit of struggling with the job at the time. Um, even in the police, there's times and uh, there was a particular time, it was, it's called a critical incident debrief, it's, I think it's maybe changed its name now, and I went along to this thing and it was a pretty horrific incident that happened. Mm. And I'm sitting there and, and you're trying to put kind of 
the face on it, all this hasn't affected me, and, yeah. and see when I was in that room, and there was other officers there, and um, see when we just started chatting about it, yeah. it was amazing how even I thought for one minute that that wouldn't have an impact on them, mm -hmm. when we started chatting about it, it actually had the same impact on everybody, but it's just sometimes you're just a wee bit, you know, I don't want to be seen as being yeah. probably weak, for, for a better word, but we're not. Mm. We're human beings. We're talking about it. And because we spoke about it, and I realised other folk felt the same about it, yeah. it actually gave me a bit of comfort inside me that, do you know what, that was alright to feel like that. Mm. And it's not about being weak, but sometimes, and it goes back to the old thing, sometimes it's alright not to be alright. Yeah. And I just have a blather with something. It's not always a, it's not always a big fix. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just about having a wee chat. Um, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you might you might not be able to tell us this, but the, what's the most shocking thing you've came across um, as a member of the police or outside? I would, as you can imagine, Rory. After a few years, you go to many kind of road accidents and been to some real horrific farming accidents and stuff, but. Yeah. Um, it's really tough sometimes to, because we're human beings, we're emotional, deal, dealing with death and I'll be honest, I, know, I didn't see my first dead body until I joined the police. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been really fortunate in my life because obviously before that it would probably generally be a loved one that you, you would maybe see. Yeah. Um, and especially um, when children are involved, that's absolutely horrific. Mm -hmm. um, some of my most trying times in the police were like following dealing with stuff like that because as a dad myself, kind of there's a lot of things that start kind of what ifs and can you start kind of doubting things and you start asking your questions what would that happen to you? But yeah. again, it's um, and especially when you're talking about really really young children, mm. um, so some of my most horrific days in the police if you like were, were, were dealing with obviously with yeah. babies that were you know, obviously had, um, that passed away and, and just the, the absolute. The way parents were who'd lost loved ones like that, it's just, it's one of the most horrific things I can imagine. Um, but to actually be there to see somebody's pain, really difficult to put into words. Um, but there is a, that aspect of having to go and like knock on somebody's door and tell them that they've got a loved one that's no longer with them, yeah. and, and, and it's you that's doing that. Um, obviously, you have to remain professional in, in, in that. But behind that profession, mm -hmm. I'm just a, a, a dad and I'm just a person that also has kind of thoughts and feelings and yeah. um, sometimes we, we, we do put a bit of a, a front on things and you, for the professional aspect of things, but behind that front, we get the same thoughts and feelings as everybody else. It's just, yeah. um, and just because we might show on the front that we're dealing with it a different way, it doesn't mean to say behind that. Yeah. Um, but we're not absolutely devastated, the same as everybody else, because human beings at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like, it goes back to the connections, and like, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see another road accident. I don't want to have to go to somebody else. But the the reality of that is that's that's what happens, yeah. and and we have to go and we have to go and deal with that the best we can. But sometimes it's. Um, you did detach yourself a wee bit for the reality because that kind of helps you cope a wee bit better if that makes sense yeah but it doesn't mean to say that you're not human mm -hmm.
Um, so um, if you are talking to somebody who's interested in going into the police or who's already in the police maybe or in training, um, what kind of advice would you give them? That's a cracking question. There's, there's two aspects to that. There's one where it is a really rewarding career yeah. and you you meet lots of really decent, interesting people. I you'll deal with people that are maybe not so nice and mm-hmm. maybe want to slate your character slightly by calling you different things, right? but that's just part and parcel of what it is. Things I would, the advice I would give you somebody that was thinking about it was get involved. Get involved in voluntary things. Mm-hmm. Get involved in community things. Get involved in trying to help folk. Just ensuring that you're willing to help. You be want to help people. Just know because you need it for a police application. It's because you, that's what you want to do. You want to be seen to be that decent person. Yeah. Um, the opportunities in the police still remain fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a good lifestyle. Can you let's be honest? The the the, the, the pay isn't the worst. But the other side that folk really need to think about is, and again, I feel as if this chat's been like about doom and gloom, and, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is it's the life, your family life aspect of things, mm-hmm. where a lot of the work you do shift work. You will miss loads of things, birthdays, christenings, weddings. Um, and the thing that I always give advice in relation to is when one of your friends or a family member will come to you and say oh do you want to go to such and such and such and such a day the first thing you will think about is what shift am I going to be that day yeah. okay, I mean? so that can be and again I don't want to take it down a totally negative way but sometimes that can never be better detriment, detrimental impact on relationships and family life because there is times when you're your friends or family might need a bit of support for you and you're away doing a back shift not to be seen for four days and yeah. th- there is times where and, and that's no different for any other shift worker out there um, that, that has to um, potentially miss a Christmas day or a birthday um, but you can turn around and say oh it's just what you need to do but it still has a wee bit of yeah. an impact on but it's like everything else. It, it's 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 pl- it's getting more for me still after nearly twenty years of working for the police. It's still I'm still really positive about 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 life running about the police. Um, there's lots of I get that folk will criticise the police. That's just part of the course. That's going to happen. You're never going to please everybody a hundred percent all the time. The vast majority of folk I've worked with over the years, including in in, in here in, in Queen Margaret Academy set off with, with the best intentions every day yeah sometimes things go wrong but they don't turn up in the morning and say right I'm going to make this go wrong or I'm going to make a poor decision or, or I'm going to do this sometimes things just turn out that way yeah. but I still believe the vast majority of folk that work with daycare they are fair they might be firm sometimes but ultimately they just want to make things a wee bit better Mm-hmm. and that's the way I look at it because a lot of things out there you'll never fix them they've been there for a long time and folk are, they, they walk up to the team and say right we're going to fix this it's not there to be fixed it's there we need to because it's a lot of these issues have been there for for a long time before mm-hmm. and they'll be there for a long time after we're not here but it's just our turn to try and make it a wee bit better just now yeah. and 
if we can make it a bit better today than it was yesterday and even better tomorrow, that, that's what you should talk about. It's not about big things, it's about hundreds and thousands of small things. Everybody, everybody can do a wee bit every day. It makes it so much better for everybody longer term. Thank you for that. I'm really happy with how this has come out because I think it's having home a really important message um, about communities and everyone doing their wee part to help improve things day by day. So thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Absolute um, pleasure. Thank you. Um, see you next time.